you know, I was thinking as I was worshiping, um, I really got to work as the preacher to think less of what I'm getting ready to say and more about what I'm saying to Jesus when I'm singing to him. I think I get too caught up in what I'm getting ready to say. I'll, I'll admit, a little confession this morning, I get nervous for a talk sometimes. And I think that's utterly ridiculous because there's really only 60 people in here. And half of them are kids. A little more than that. And the other reason, the real reason it's ridiculous is because my words, the words coming out of Abby's mouth, will have no effect upon you whatsoever spiritually unless they come from God's word and they are applied by God's spirit. And so uh, that's what I tend to, to pray before uh, my messages, if you would know, is that I would be filled with the Spirit that He might speak God's Word. People are... Preachers and pastors can be very frail. I'm very frail. Like I just confessed to you, I get nervous. Sometimes I think it's the coffee, too. I drink too much coffee uh, before I preach. Um, But also, it leads me to think about Jesus. It leads me to meditate upon... God the Son taking on my flesh. Of course, He didn't sin. I'm a sinner. But God did take on, God the Son did take on frail humanity. And Jesus had to be very frail in many ways. And I can think of no more frail instance before the crucifixion than John 19, whenever He's abandoned by virtually everyone. He's abandoned by His disciples. Almost all of them. He's betrayed by one disciple. He's betrayed and abandoned by the people. He's abandoned by the chief priests. Uh, and he's abandoned by the government. That's pretty much everybody. As fully man, Jesus' soul had to reach to the depths of despair as he's before Pontius Pilate. And we're going to get ready to read about that this morning. He's a rejected king. Jesus endures the curse of the law during his life as well as during his sacrificial death. All of the weight of sin was upon Jesus. And of course, we see that most vividly in the Garden of Gethsemane. The gospel, if I could, by the way, if you're new here, what I try to do every morning that I come here is I try to basically uh, make sure that we're on the same page what I mean when I say the gospel. And here's what I mean. The gospel is an exchange. Jesus receives the curse of the law for our sin, which he did not deserve. And Jesus gives us his reward for obeying the law, which we did not earn. And that's the good news we celebrate every Sunday at church. And that's the good news that we live with every day. Jesus receives the curse of the law for our sin, which he did not deserve. Jesus gives us his reward for obeying the law, which we did not deserve. The cross is everything to a Christian. It's everything. If somebody asks you about your faith, what do you believe? It shouldn't, you should go no more than five seconds without talking about Jesus and His cross. It should be virtually impossible for you to talk about faith without talking about what happened to Jesus on Calvary. And God wanted it that way. So if you turn, if you will, to John chapter 19, we're going to read out of the first 16 verses of John chapter 19. We're going through the book of John. We're almost to the end, but we're not there yet. And next week, we'll talk about the crucifixion. But before Jesus goes to the cross, he faces the most powerful man in Israel in some sense, Pontius Pilate. 
So when you find it or you want to read it, just stand and we're going to read God's word together this morning. God's word says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to him, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered, them, delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, your son Jesus died such a horrible, pitiful, unthinkably grotesque death. And before he did, he was humiliated. He was paraded around. Father, you have invited us to that life. You have invited us to be foolishness to the world. But Father, before we can imitate Christ's humility, we must receive what He has done on our behalf. Father, this morning give us fresh eyes to see and to read of Jesus' humility, His love, His patience, and what He endured and what He suffered for us instead of us that we may live. And all these things we ask in Your precious Son's name. Amen. So here's what I'm trying to say this morning. Here's what I think cuts to the heart of it. The King of Heaven was born, lived, and died under His own law in order that He might crown with life the very sinners who mocked Him with a crown of thorns. The King of Heaven was born, lived, and died under His own law in order that He might crown with life the very sinners who mocked Him with a crown of thorns. Pretty ironic, I think, this passage. Mocking the King of Kings. Jesus is humiliated before He's crucified. Let's just read the first three verses. 
Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Okay, just physically beat him. Then the soldiers twisted him in crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Okay, they embarrassed him and shamed him and humiliated him. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck them with their hands. This is such a physical, emotional, and psychological abuse upon our, our Lord. And that's just in the first three verses. It says they arrayed Jesus. They arrayed Him. They presented Him. They made Him a puppet. Just a week earlier, the people shouted, Hosanna. Now these priests are saying, crucify Him. Public opinion is a fickle thing. It was then and it is now. It's like an ocean. It tosses and it turns. And ultimately, no one dictates what people think. I was thinking about public opinion today. Most women can attest, when you have a baby, you're the bell of the ball, and then soon after you have the baby, people move on from you having a baby. Sorry, Clackums. Your baby's the, you know, the cute one now. When you first get married, listen up. If you're getting ready to get married. People love them some newlyweds, and then after you're not a newlywed, you're just another married couple. Can I get an amen, Thompson's here? When you put something cute on social media, people like it, and then they move on. Sometimes people do that with church. They can come to a new church, and people get that high because everybody treats you like a new person, and then you're supposed to actually act like a mature Christian, and you get off the euphoric high, and then you don't like it anymore, and you leave. People who go to church for public approval don't stay in church. People who come to church to please their Lord will remain in church. But Jesus isn't going to the cross for public opinion. The crowds that followed Jesus did not affect His mission. The popularity He received did not affect His mission. The crown of thorns does not affect His mission. The flogging does not affect His mission. The mocking does not affect His mission. Jesus' mission was to get to the cross unstained by sin because He loved the Father first. There is nothing they could do to keep this man from the cross. Satan could not tempt him away from it. Disciples could not betray him from it. His disciples have left him. The Roman Empire has arrested him. And he will fulfill the mission given to him by the Father. Jesus is unstoppable. What shocks me about Jesus' integrity and his character is how much he could have said, yet did not. Look at verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, Your law is my law, and I am the Son of God. He didn't say that, though. Look at verse 9. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus doesn't owe him an answer, and he's not going to plead away from the execution because he is fulfilling the Scriptures. The judgment of man and the opinion of the public did not sway Jesus from his mission and it should not sway his people from following Jesus. That means what other people are doing with their lives, the way that other people spend their money, the way other people um, enjoy their weekends, what other people build, what other people have, what other people say, it doesn't affect the faith of, of Abitad. It doesn't affect it. Before I was married, I'm in a little confession. I'm you know, glad my wife's not here this morning. Before I was married, I cared a lot about what women thought. I did. I dressed to impress. Not as much as maybe some of y'all. 
that I did. What I posted, what I said, it was all because I was conscious of the fact that there were young women around. I'm married now. I don't care. First of all, I'm going bald. No one else cares anymore. (laughs) I'm serving her. I'm loving her. I'm giving my body for her. I don't care about another woman. I mean, all you are beautiful, but I got one bride is what I'm saying. That's how the gospel works. I'm living for the king. I don't have any other royalty now. I render what I render to Caesar. But unlike the chief priests, I have another king. I have a true king and his name is Christ. Those who live for public approval will not give their lives for the king. And I think in some sense, Jesus does not come into your life. Jesus just becomes your life. Many souls are in hell today because they believed otherwise. If God and the world have one thing in common, God and the world have a couple things in common. One thing they have in common, neither God nor the world owe you a thing. And I think the cross is picture perfect of that. The cross is a constant reminder that we are owed nothing. The world didn't owe anything to the Son of God, apparently. It really does, and we'll find that. But God has ensured that His church will remain humble because our King is a crucified King. Our King wore a crown of thorns, purple robes, He was flogged, He was spit upon, He was crucified. And God says us today, try that for your public image. Try that for your reputation. Try that for public opinion. The crucifixion doesn't just make us grateful, it makes us humble. If the Son of God was put to death and shamed, His people are not entitled to an ounce more. Oswald Chambers. You ever read his utmost, My Utmost for His Highest? It's a fantastic book. I came across this, the bottom part, blame PowerPoint, wasn't mine. We have no right to judge where we should be put or to have preconceived notions as to what God is fitting us for. God engineers everything. Wherever He puts us, our one great aim in life is to pour out our wholehearted devotion to Him in that particular work. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. God doesn't know you a thing. All God asks of you is where you are to give your utmost to His highest. Why is that? That's because we have a cross outside and despite... Judy Bice's best efforts to make it look beautiful. It's not supposed to be beautiful. It's ugly. It's a death instrument. And we, of all people, we invite the mocking. We invite the foolishness because our king was crucified. And when he was, he said to the world, I'm not seeking what you're seeking. I'm not after what you're after. My authority is different than yours. I am holy. I think in some sense, a cross, someone who bears the cross of Christ is saying, I want to be set apart. And God certainly set his son apart. Look at what Jesus says to Pilate in verses 10 through 11. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me 
at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Stop right there, right there, right there. Greater sin. You pick up on that? Well, I thought all sin was the same. All sin is not the same. I hear that a lot. All sin deserves righteous retribution. All sin deserves God's punishment. All sin deserves hell. All sin is not the same. Now, most of our minds go to the Sermon on the Mount. I think what Christ is saying is, at its heart, all sin is rebellious and heinous before the eyes of a holy God. All sin will send you to the right place. All sin will put you under the condemnation of a righteous and holy lawgiver. But all sin is not the same. We need to understand that. Because from a thousand foot view, all sin is the same. From a a level view, there are many different kinds of sin. And some sins are much worse than others. I think the law in the Old Testament makes that very clear. Uh, what do you do with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? There are different sins. And, there, and, and what he's saying here is, you think you're in trouble, wait till God gets His hands on Judas. Certain sins are worse than others, and I'll, I'll even go so far as to say this, which I think the Bible makes very clear, certain sins will be punished in hell worse than others. We need to be, we need to be cognizant of that. Now, living as human beings, living as people following after Jesus, what you need to know is sin is sin, cut it out. Whether it's lying, cheating, stretching the truth, pornography, whatever it is, murdering, gossiping, sin is all infinitely heinous in the eyes of God. But there are different sins. Does that make sense? I wanted to clarify that. So Jesus is like, okay, look, Pontius, you're the local governor. I'm the king of the universe. Okay, Pilate, I know you're on behalf of Rome. I'm here on behalf of the Father. Christ's words to Pilate are also to us. You are not the supreme authority of your life. Pilate doesn't rule the world. We don't rule our own lives. Jesus is our king. I was talking with somebody this week. And they said something that I hear a lot, and I've even used these words a lot, and it's not wrong, I just think we need to clarify. They said, well, I know God's got big plans for her. I think God's got big plans. Now, let me ask you this. What if God's big plans for that young woman was to raise a godly family and disciple her children? What if God's big plans for a young man is to be an elder at his church? What if God's big plans for your life is to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? Micah 6.8 If that's not big enough for you, that's not big enough for me, our definition of big is coming from the world. It's not coming from God. I'm still learning that. You know, honestly, when I went to seminary, um, when I was 20, 20s, back when I thought 33 was old, I thought, man, God's going to do big things with me. If God had gone, hey, come here. You're going to be 33, and you're going to be in a triple-wide trailer 
pastoring a church that meets on a gravel road. I'd have gone, that doesn't seem like big plans to me. Check, check in your oracles, God, and make sure that's right. Uh, that's, that's not on my watch. No, no, it is. And it's big. Wherever you are in your job, if you've got a, a young kid you're raising, you're like, man, I kind of want my life to be a little bit more than this. If you've got a young family, if you're in a marriage, you're like, man, I'm waiting for God to do something big. If you have a bride to love or a bridegroom to love, if you have a child to disciple, your life is big. If you have a job where you can minister, the fields are white for harvest. You're in a church where you can serve the body and serve your community. God's got big plans. It may not look big to the world, but then again, a, a, a man suffering ignominiously on a cross doesn't look very big to the world either. Big word I used, sorry. God's big plan for Jesus was to die on a cross with a crown of thorns. Our big plans might be just as humble and just as painful. In order to understand what Jesus is accomplishing, I think it's helpful to see Christ through the lens of His three roles, prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, Jesus bears witness to the truth. Priest, Jesus mediates between God and man. King, Jesus rules on behalf of the Father over His new resurrected people. All three of those we can see testifying before Pontius Pilate. He shows Pilate the truth. Or he says he's witnessing to the truth. He reconciles us by giving up his own body. And he rules by virtue of being raised from the dead. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Now, here's a question. What does Jesus wearing a crown of thorns have to do with your life on a Tuesday morning? Oh, man, that's, that's, that's awful that happened to Jesus. I got to go. Where are we going to eat? What does Jesus dying on a cross with a crown of thorns have to do with your life this week in the middle of the week? Well, if you're a parent, your authority to your children should look like a crucified king. You love with authority, humility, patience, and on occasion you apologize to your child because you're a sinner. And your authority isn't built on fear, it's built on love. If you work for someone at a job, your service to your employer looks like a crucified king because, of course, you don't need your employer to give you your authority. You have authority by virtue of being a child of God. And you can submit to any authority because you're serving a king. If you're a husband, your authority of all people should look like a crucified king because you're given your life for your bride. And if you're a wife, your submission to your husband looks like a crucified king. As your husband gives his life to you, you can submit. Why? Because your Lord submitted to his authority. The crucifixion of King Jesus impacts every aspect of our lives. It impacts the way I speak. Jesus didn't return volley for volley, insult for insult. He spoke when it advanced the kingdom. Therefore, I have no right to return someone's insult. It impacts the way I spend my money because if Jesus' blood is the most precious thing on earth to me, then everything else is really secondary to that. And anything I have that's valuable is only to advance the kingdom in that message. It impacts the way I think. Jesus' last thoughts were, not my will, but thine be done. Therefore, I live my entire life making, thought, making my thoughts captive to Christ. If I were to go up to someone today, if I were to go up to you today, this morning, after church, not in front of everybody, you're walking out to your car and I go, oh, hold on, hold on, quick. How do I know you're a Christian? 
Whoa there, preacher, I thought I was out of here. Nope, not yet. How do I know? Tell me why you think you're following Jesus. What would you say? Well, um, I tell you, well, I just went to church. Did I get any points for that? Nope. How do I know? Well, I'm a good person. Raised my kids in the fear of the Lord. Got good Christian principles. Go to church. I've been baptized. None of those things should factor in when you first assess your relationship with God. Well, Abby, what should? Christianity is not simply about faith in God. Christianity is not simply following God. Christianity is not simply living for God. Christianity is about following a crucified Jesus. It should not take you three, four, five seconds to make a beeline to the cross when someone asks you about your faith. The most important thing about Christianity is faith in a crucified king. The most ironic thing about this entire passage is what the chief priests say. I don't think the most ironic thing is the crown of thorns. That's that's irony. That's really tragic irony. I think the most ironic thing is when the chief priests of all people say, we have no king but Caesar. And the reason I think it's so sad is The chief priests are looking at the high priest and they don't even know him. The very people who are called to serve the kingdom don't even recognize their own king. The ones who mediate between the people and the king are looking upon the great mediator, the great physician, and they're like, kill him. And yet in disobeying God, in killing the Son of Man, they are but instruments in the sovereign plan of God. When I watch what's happening to Jesus on the cross, I have to come back to Genesis chapter 50. Do you all remember what Joseph says to his brothers when they sold him to slavery? He says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people would be kept alive as they are today. That's all they back in Genesis. What if the chief priests had their eyes and the veil pulled back and they went, oh, I didn't know. And, and Jesus would be like, no, hold on. You're evil and you meant it for evil. God is doing this for His glory and for the good of mankind. The Roman governor flogs the king. The chief priests deny the high priest. The Jews abandon their God. And every single part of this is God's plan. Friends, whatever is burdening us this morning, whatever is burdening you and challenging you and your family, whether it's at work or with with your kids or with your marriage, the fact that you serve a crucified king should remind every single one of us in here that God can take what the world means for evil and use it to turn it into good. Because today, Jesus is not wearing a crown of thorns. He's wearing a real crown. And whatever the world is laughing at today, they won't be laughing long. Whatever is despicable today, it won't be despicable tomorrow. In this life, everybody wants the gold crown and nobody wants to wear the crown of thorns. But Jesus has said, no, 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 no. You got to die with me. The old self, you better get up here. 
Because there is no way to be raised with Jesus Christ. There is no way to be crowned with royal crowns. There is no way to enter His kingdom unless you die first. A Christian is someone who dies with Jesus every single day that he might be raised with Him. For those who do not know Jesus Christ, for those who've gone, I mean, I've always gone to church. I know how to speak the language. I was baptized when I was 12. If you've never died, if the old you is still clinging, put on the crown of thorns, repent of your sins, confess Jesus as Lord and follow Him. Let's pray. Father, You wore a crown of thorns so that we could wear golden crowns. As James says, the crown of life. Father, by the power of Your Holy Spirit this morning, I pray that we would be willing to be fools like Jesus. We can be willing to be shamed and embarrassed and paraded around this world like Jesus was in front of the Roman soldiers. Father, let our faith be in the crucified Christ. And in so doing, Father, I pray that anyone here who calls upon the name of the Lord, like Paul, can say, I am crucified to the world and it to me. Father, let us seek after a crucified King. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.